Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio here. We've got some snow on the ground in the Rocket City. Uh, doubt we do in Mobile, where my good friend Thomas Watts is producing and doing a great job, as he always does with his show. We've got William Redfish Barger with us uh, from 89 to 93, national champion with the Alabama Crimson Tide. I know uh, he's uh, he always joins us from the city of Birmingham. we got a lot to talk about. Alabama going to the Citrus Bowl to play the Michigan Wolverines. Probably one of the out of the outside of the college football playoff, one of the most interesting matchups. Uh, two teams that are disappointed in how their seasons turned out, uh, but uh, two of the top five programs of all time: Alabama number one, and certainly Michigan uh, in that uh, in, among the elite. Even though they haven't won a lot of national championships lately, their latest a co championship in 1997. Uh, but still a lot of wins, two and two all time, the Michigan Wolverines in Alabama. So, uh, but, it, but it's going to be interesting uh, because Jim Harbaugh finally going up against Nick Saban. I think a lot of people thought uh, this was going to happen, uh, you know, in the college football playoff. Michigan could never hold up their end of the deal. Uh, but uh, this will be uh, the first meeting since 2012 between Alabama and the Wolverines. And, of course, that's one. Uh, that the uh, Michigan fan base would like to forget. It was a first chapter in a national championship repeat for Alabama in Dallas, Texas. But, uh, William, welcome back to the show. Uh, how you doing tonight? Doing good, Drew. Just uh, watching the rain fall here in Birmingham. It's not cold enough to snow here. So no sticking yet, huh? No. Yeah, we've had no, a little bit. We, so. we got about an inch of snow here, so... Uh, we'll see. We got a little bit on the ground. Nothing too. Uh, nothing. Uh, I'm sure people are panicking, running to the grocery store, but I won't be one of them. I'm not that crazy. Uh, I'll uh, I'll <laughs> stay away from that. Uh, but certainly, uh, it, some interesting conversations going on, William. Some breaking news too that I wanted to ask you about. This is in the last 30 minutes. It looks like that it's imminent that Dave Aranda will finally be leave, leaving LSU. And he's in the final negotiations to become UNLV's next head coach. They're going to play in the Raiders' new stadium next year. They're making him a lot of financial promises about staff uh, and support from the university for their football program. This would be a legitimate loss for LSU. He's been kind of the Stonewall Jackson for them the last several years. He's the highest-paid assistant in college football at $2.5 million, And it comes right before recruiting next week. Uh, maybe that affects Phillip Webb. We will see. Alabama battling LSU. Most people think they're the top two. Uh, your thoughts on maybe Dave Aranda leaving LSU. Now, we know he'll coach with the team through the playoff, and hopefully this won't affect them trying to win a national title. Uh, but going forward, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, you know, I think he's probably overdue on getting an opportunity like this. I mean, he's uh, – you know, been one of the elite defensive coordinators in college football for quite some time now, you know, put together top 10 defenses at, at multiple schools. And, um, you know, I think he's done a pretty good job uh, the last couple of years at LSU with, you know, they're, they're uh, certainly not on the back end of their defense. It's almost like they've got a laboratory down there that puts DBs out. But, you know, certainly there's not a lot of difference makers in their front seven and, um, you know, they, they still had a pretty salty defense this year. Um, you know, maybe not what he had when he first got there. Um, but, you know, I think that probably has more to do with, you know, their recruiting taking a slide on that side of the football versus his abilities as a D.C. I've always, 
you know, kind of respected the plan that he puts in place. Um, you know, when he plays Alabama, um, always seems to bring, you know, some creative blitz packages and, um, you know, has done a really good job up until this year, at least, of, of slowing down, um, you know, the Alabama offense. But, you know, I'm excited for him. I think, you know, for everybody that I've talked to that's had a chance to be around him, he seems like a, you know, a first-class guy and, um, you know, certainly done a great job at, at all the places that he's been, you know, LSU, Wisconsin, and where was he at before that, like BYU or Utah or somewhere? Yeah. Um, I can't even remember, but. Um, you know, certainly a guy that, that I think's, you know, um, had a lot of people come after him once he got to Wisconsin and certainly while he's been at LSU and, you know, has been compensated accordingly based on the job that he's done down there. Yeah, he has, no doubt about it. Uh, he's uh, he's done a really good job. And and, and, uh, and as you said, uh, William, he, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was actually uh, uh, at Utah State uh, before he can went to Wisconsin, so that that was only for a year. He was actually uh, the uh, defensive coordinator at Hawaii back in the day, back early in Saban's tenure in 2010, 2011. He's been at LSU since 2016. But I mean, maybe it doesn't affect Philip Webb. We'll see. Uh, but I, from what I understand, that was Philip Webb's, you know, uh, you know, his tightest relationship. And we will all freely admit. And we don't think Pete Golding will be back at Alabama either. So it looks like uh, that LSU and Alabama William will probably be uh, having a new defensive coordinators next year. Yeah, I, I expect, uh, you know, more turnover than just Pete Golding. Um, yeah, me on too. Especially on that, side of, on, on that side of the football. And, uh, you know, you, you always hate to see a, a recruit, you know, choose a um, – you know, a football program based on who their lead recruiter or possibly who their position coach or coordinator might be. I mean, um, you know, what is this? Tua Tungavailoa's third different um, offensive coordinator. And, uh, hell, if you want to go back to the guy that, you know, initially started recruiting him in Lane Kiffin, um, I guess you could possibly say his fourth. But, uh, you know, I, I hate to see a kid do that. I think, you know, that decision should always come down to, you know, number one, um, you know, if football ended for you tomorrow, where would you be the happiest as a normal, regular, everyday student? Because that's a possibility for everybody, um, you know, in a football situation. But um, you certainly can't make a, you know, a four- or five-year decision or commitment based on, you know, the, the way these coaches hopscotch around and the cash grab that's available for them out there. And, and certainly – um, it's easier to say that and understand it as an adult versus a you know an 18 year old kid. But um, you know, happy for him. It's, it's certainly going to be a big loss for uh, for Coach O to try and replace. Um, although he seems to have done a really good job of, of upgrading his staff, um, you know, since he's been there. So we'll have to sit back and see who he targets. Um, I don't think it's going to be Pete Golding, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so either. Even though I wouldn't even I wouldn't be surprised if Pete was was uh, targeted by Lane Kiffin, I've heard those rumors. Uh, but I don't think anything, William. I don't know what you're hearing, but I'm hearing that there there could be as many as four changes, but it's not going to happen until after December recruiting. Uh, you know, I, I guess technically, Drew, it's safe to say the the actual changes probably won't take place, barring somebody getting a head coaching job. I doubt it. 
the physical changes probably won't take place till after the citrus bowl. Right. Um, you know, there might be some announcements made and stuff, but, you know, I think we've all seen, you know, how Nick Saban likes to handle, you know, departures and hires and all that stuff. They tend to play out slowly. Um, and, and like you said, certainly not. Um, I don't know if you were talking about the early signing period or the February signing. No, period. I was talking about I was talking about December, December. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure, not until that's over and done with. Which you know is another reason why um, you know a, a recruit shouldn't make their decisions. You can sign on the dotted line, and uh, you know next week, and the guy could be gone the next day. Yeah, he could be, and then. Uh, as we've uh, been, uh, I, I've been hearing this before the Chris Walsh report, and I know you reported it today as well. Uh, there could be potentially that uh, Alabama could get several of these juniors back. I know there was a, you know, initial thought that this could be a rebuild for Nick Saban next year because the junior class is so talented, and that could, several of them could leave early. But it looks like, and I, this is what I've been hearing, that besides getting out on the road and trying to finish out this recruiting class very strong, that they've been trying to re-recruit some of these juniors. And I, certainly some of them are going to move on. I think Terrell Lewis already has, uh, and I don't blame him. He's had an extensive injury history. I don't think he ever lived up to the hype, but he's a talented guy who, if he gets with the right NFL organization, can have a long career. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's – and I know – uh, he, he's gone through so much from an injury standpoint that I can understand. He would have moved on last year if he hadn't torn his ACL. So, uh, but uh, you know what, what? But if Alabama could get four or five of these juniors back, and I'm hearing, you know, Tua Tungabaloa, possibly Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Alex Leatherwood, uh, you know, and then Dylan Moses, that dramatically changes the outlook of the football team, William, uh, uh, going into next year. I've also heard that the sixth year of eligibility for Joshua McMillan is basically a done deal. Well, that doesn't excite me as some of the rest of them. Um, you he know, would I, be more I think for right depth now, purposes and leadership, you know, with, with McMillan. Right, you know. right. Um, you know, I, I think as we sit here right now, I, you know, I feel pretty comfortable that, you know, Leatherwood and Moses are, are you know, leaning towards coming back. I think, you know, the the stuff that's, you know, kind of leaking out is that, you know, Najee Harris, Jerry Judy, yeah. Xavier McKinney kind of already hinted that they've made their decisions and they're going. Um, you know, I think the rest of it, which which certainly could um, – oh, and Jedrick Wills, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I think the, the, the rest of it, from what, you know, I've been told, all seems to hinge on – what two is going to decide to do. And, you know, Thomas, Thomas and I are certainly, uh, our, our trend continues, Thomas, with us having an egg on our face with our predictions. I know we were both pretty emphatic about thinking that two was going to go and still could end up happening that way. But sounds like he is, uh, you know, a little bit hesitant on possibly leaving, you know, a lot of guaranteed money on the table. I think there's been some NFL, you know, initial feedback that, he might could slide down the draft board a little bit further than what had initially been expected. And, and, you know, every spot that you fall, you know, after the top 10, it's a chunk of change. And, uh, you, you know, that's certainly a consideration. I think he's, you know, and I think this kind of shows his, you know, competitive nature and, and, uh, you know, you know, what an outstanding teammate he is, but, you know, I think there's some, 
you know, some some second thoughts and hesitation on possibly leaving the program without finishing a season. Um, you know, certainly having a, you know, d- despite the touchdown pass versus Georgia two years ago, you know, leaving without being the full-time starter um, and having that national championship all to his own on his resume. I think there's a lot of stuff in play. But, you know, from what I'm hearing, um, if, in fact, he decides to stay, that could trigger a domino effect with both Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs, which um, there again, you can kind of see how all this plays into – you know, the the wagon wheel here. I mean, you know, an offense that, you know, you could kind of speculate, you know, if Tua comes back and you've got Ruggs, Smith, and Jalen Waddle to work with with that quarterback and then an offensive line that could possibly, you know, can consist of, you know, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, Landon Dickerson at left guard, Darian Dalcourt at center, Deontay Brown at right guard, and and Evan Neal at right tackle. I mean, that's a pretty formidable base to build an offense around. Um, You know, and, and, you know, this is the time of the year when, you know, you start kind of hearing whispers about the, the staff's thoughts on, you know, some of the younger guys and, you know, some of the thoughts that have, you know, gotten back to me on the, the staff's, you know, evaluation and, and uh, expectations out of Trey Sanders next year at the running back position is, is off the charts good. Um, you know, they think he can be an electrifying player in space, which I think, you know, um, a lot of Hoover Buccaneer fans here in Birmingham over at Hoover saw what he can do in space last year multiple times when IMG beat the brakes off of Hoover. But well, yeah. um, you know, it's a, it, you know, it's it's a, you know, the, the potential is there for, um, you know, a pretty dynamic offense, and, and certainly, you know, if, if Moses and, uh, you know, Leatherwood decide to come back along with LeBron Ray, which I think at this stage of the game he's kind of in the same boat as Dylan Moses. There's not enough you know, game tape for anybody at this point in time to take either one of those guys in the first round. So they, they'll both benefit from coming back. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in the situation of having to, uh, you know, advise some of these guys on what's best for them to do, because, you know, it's a life changing decision and sometimes it works out for the best. Sometimes it blows up in your face, but, you know, I think, you know, from from what I'm hearing, the final decision from two is not going to come for several weeks, and uh, so you know we're going to all probably have to sit around until I would say after the first of the year before we find out a final decision. Yeah, and I talked to LeBron Ray William. He's just going to red. He told me he was going to red shirt. If they had gone to the playoff, is a possibility he was going to come back. I don't think he'll push it and play in this bowl game because they don't they 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 want to make sure he's healed up and ready to go next year. But LeBron will be coming back. And hopefully. And then I don't want anybody thinking. I, I don't want anybody listening to, sh- to the show to think that that offensive line depth chart is, uh, you know, penciled in pen or, or anything like that. That's my own opinion and speculation on what that possible best five makeup could be next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, But no question about that. But I, I do think that, a lot of these guys can come back, and I think it could be big for Alabama. I, and and personally, staff-wise, I think Pete Golden is going to move on. I think Carl Scott, uh, certainly Brian Baker, defensive line, 
I would watch for at the end of the NFL season, Bo Davis uh, to come back uh, to Alabama. I, I think now that his show cause is done, I don't. I think Alabama they will work. The, Saban will get his way with Bo, in my opinion, and uh, Bo will be wanted. I mean, certainly Ole Miss, Georgia, Tennessee uh, is going to be talking to him too. Uh, but I, I, I would see. I, I think the chances are strong that Bo Davis would come back, and then, then I think that the other change potentially to me. I don't have this set in stone, but just some things you're rumbling you hear behind the scenes would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the running backs coach, uh, Charles Huff at Alabama. I think uh, Jody Wright, who I know you're familiar with, William, he's with the Freddie Kitchens with the Browns. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he was brought back to be running backs coach and be on the field. Uh, but uh, that, that, that would be another move that you might uh, anticipate and, and see. And then, of course, Alabama trying to finish strong in recruiting. Tonight, uh, Javion Cohen from Central of Phoenix City, uh, a tackle guard prospect, said he's shutting down his recruitment. He's going to sign with either Alabama or Auburn on signing day. From all indications, he's going to sign with Alabama on flip from Auburn on December the 18th. I would also watch Jace McClellan from Alito, Texas, the running back. I think there's a really good shot. He's going to flip from Oklahoma to Alabama. And so, uh, and then we'll see on uh, Darnell Washington. Alabama's battling Kirby Smart in Georgia. He's going to visit Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee this weekend. Uh, so uh, Jeff Banks has supposedly done some things as far as uh, being able to kind of get in a back door there where Georgia may have dropped the ball. So we'll see. And Georgia underwent some staff changes, William. I know uh, Matt Luke, former Ole Miss head coach, officially their offensive line coach now. Sam Pittman moving on to be head coach at Arkansas. Kind of a bizarre move by the Razorbacks, but he's one of these guys that's beloved by Arkansas, and, and they kind of – swung and missed on several candidates including lane kiffin so uh it, he, he will take over for the hogs so these the, the staff moves are interesting before this december signing period uh because it could have an effect like i thought it was interesting you probably saw this robbie ashford who you would think would would uh stick with lane kiffin and Ole miss he just opened up his recruitment so uh, that's what's kind of crazy about this early signing period that the, as you talked about the coaching moves can sometimes uh, have an effect on these kids. Sometimes uh, a kid, and this is their their prerogative, they can instead of signing early, they can go, they can wait till February to kind of see where the dust settles. Yeah, they can, but I, you know, I I, I would certainly advise against that. I think that you know the, the two of the things that the NCAA has gotten right, and that's two very few things over their long checkered history is, is allowing this early signing period. I think getting kids on campus in January and, uh, you know, getting them acclimated to, you know, a college academic calendar and, and, you know, being able to go through spring practice and, uh, you know, getting a head start on the strength and conditioning program is, is a big, big step in the right direction. Um, you know, for the, for the player's best interest, number one, and, uh, you know, number two is, you know, allowing these guys, you know, not the first four games, but for the coaching staff to be able to pick and choose whatever four games they allow these guys as true freshmen to play in before they can preserve their red shirt, I think is a, you know, a big, big benefit to the players' development as well. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, and I got to tell you, too, uh, I'm going to be interested to see how Alabama approaches this bowl game. Uh, you know, I – if, if most of these guys play, I think Alabama can, can win this game convincingly over Michigan. I, Michigan's improved, but I'm still not tremendously impressed with them. Uh, we, we're not, as we said earlier, we're not surprised by Terrell Lewis. 
personally, William, the, uh, the only other one that I would think would have a strong chance of sitting out is Jerry Judy. I hope he plays, but I can't blame him because he's one of these guys that I think is a lock first-rounder. And if you're a lock first-rounder with the climate uh, today, I – uh, yeah, I can't. I, 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 it's not. I don't really like it, but I, I understand. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you, it'd be interesting to me to see how, um, you know, the the NFL people, you know, view the the Iron Bowl in regards to Xavier McKinney's evaluation. I don't know how much weight that's going to carry. I would have told you. You know, prior to that game, I felt like he'd have been a lock to, you know, go in the, you know, the top 30 picks for sure. But we'll, we'll wait and see how that works out. Can't can't really blame any of those guys, um, you know, if they do decide to sit out. I think, you know, of the, the three, um, you know, the one guy that could probably really continue to enhance his draft status if he, did, if he does to choose to play in the bowl game would be Najee Harris. I mean, he's built Agreed. a big – a big, big amount of momentum and, and shown what a dynamic playmaker he is, both as a running back and a receiver out of the backfield. But as we've all seen, you know, um, you know, catching a pass and landing on your leg wrong, like what happened to Dominic Blaylock uh, Saturday versus LSU, I mean, it can all be over with in an instant. So I, I'm not going to fault, um, you know, any of these players, especially considering, you know, it's, it's basically a meaningless bowl game at this stage in the game. You know, what's the difference in three losses versus two? Not that I expect Alabama to get beat, but, um, you know, with the amount of money that's on the table, um, you know, with the injury concerns, um, you know, I can certainly – you know, I can understand both sides of that argument. I don't really have a problem with either either side of it. But, um, you know, I, I certainly think out of those three guys that we mentioned, Judy, McKinney, and, and Harris, um, I don't think – there's any benefit to Judy playing in it. I think, you know, the slam dunk decision for him would be to, to sit out, um, you know, McKinney 50, 50, but, you know, if I was, you know, Najee Harris's advisor, I would tell him, um, you might want to make your, continue to make yourself some more money, which he's already made, um, you know, in the month of November, um, you know, I, I think he could certainly improve his stock with one more, you know, dynamic performance on his resume. Yeah, no doubt. I think he definitely could. Uh, I, that's what I've said. Uh, uh, more good film is certainly not going to hurt him. Uh, I can uh, I can assure you of that. And he's he's rocketed up the charts. I think he could be a solid second round pick. We know running backs are kind of devalued in this whole deal. Uh, for Jedrick Wills, he had a hell of a year. He's been first team, uh, getting tons of first team recognition. All SEC best right tackle in the league. Very versatile. I just hope he goes in the first round if he decides to leave because there's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty deep draft. I think he's a first-round talent. We just never know how these things are going to go because uh, everyone thought Jonah Williams would go higher than he did. He went 11th overall, but I think he's a very good player. I, I definitely think he'd be one of the top 20 guys. And Just like when Josh Jacobs left and he ended up going in the 24th to the Raiders, that ended up being a boon for him. He's probably going to be offensive rookie of the year. I just hope if some of these guys leave that they go in the first round. Because if they go in the first round, you basically got no uh, no argument there. Yeah, yeah. And if uh, Josh Jacobs can stay healthy and put together a couple more seasons like he did this year, uh, the amount of money that will be pushed across the table to him on his second contract will uh, have a couple more zeros attached to it for sure. Um, I mean, that, that guy – 
you know, I don't think for, you know, any Alabama fans, uh, it should be a huge surprise with the way he was able to produce when healthy. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, can do it all, you know, kind of a, um, you know, a smaller, more compact version, I think, than, than, you know, certainly has better top end speed than Najee Harris does. But I think a lot of these people um, at the NFL level are kind of looking at how multifaceted these running backs are that Nick Saban, you know, recruits and develops and puts out. You know, there's another guy. Uh, the Tennessee Titans better be prepared to uh, make a nice offer to, to Derrick Henry or somebody else is going to come in and, and uh, make him a very wealthy young man too. No question about it, uh, uh, but uh, now it's going to be interesting uh, going forward. Uh, you know, uh, what, what if Alabama can finish strong on the recruiting trail? They've got us. They still got a shot uh, to finish with the number one overall class. I think that they'll probably add four or five. Ronald Williams is another guy that uh, you're hearing more and more positive things about the uh, junior college cornerback from Hutchinson. You know, not you know, there's not been a whole lot of uh, buzz coming from him directly, but. It just – it seems like uh, Alabama's leaning toward uh, taking him. They want to take one more corner. They're trying to uh, meet, meet their needs. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see kind of how they approach it after the dust settles because if Alabama – if some of these kids, a few kids wait to sign late, uh, you, one of those things that you've, you've now done is when December recruiting is over with, you kind of have to reassess and see if, you, if there's still a need positionally or if there's still a prospect out there that – you no doubt would take. Uh, the interesting part is I've, I've even heard some buzz, uh, you know, with Jordan Birch, the you know, number one player in the country, defensive lineman. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to Alabama. I just think Alabama's still involved. A lot of thought that South Carolina and LSU led that pack. But uh, with Dave Aranda leaving, I just wonder how much this could change it for LSU because uh, certainly Coach O has done a great job. But when you don't know who your D.C. is going to be, uh, that could change some things. There's no question about that. But I know I've got to, I've got to bounce, guys. But I was going to bring Thomas into the conversation, and I know you guys were still going to talk some Michigan. And Thomas also has some opinions about the college football playoff committee that I know he'd like to share with the listeners. You know, feel better, dodge the snow, all that fun stuff. But you know, William, it's good to be on with you again. And I just let let me let me soliloquy briefly about the college football playoff and another reason why I absolutely hate it. And it's – I'm not going to sit here and say that Alabama should have been in the playoff with two losses. Not going to make that argument. But the problem is the process is extraordinarily opaque, so there's not a really good reason for some of the things to get done. And Alabama is the best example of this. If you look at the AP and the coaches' polls, they're both Alabama was both ninth in both of those polls. Now, they're different polls. They're just people with opinions. Great. Cool. Whatever. That's a four-spot difference from the college football playoff. Now, being scientifically minded, one must ask, okay, what are the differences between those three polls? Well, the AP poll has a few hundred voters. The coaches poll has, you know, 50 to 60 coaches and the college football playoff has 13 people in it. And depending on the allegiances of these 13 people, some of them have to step out of the room when a debate is going on. So you could have as few as 10 talking about all of these teams. Now, I've watched every snap that Alabama has played. 
I can say that with a straight face. I've watched every snap Alabama's played probably twice at this point. I cannot say that I've done that with LSU or Oregon or Utah or Georgia or Penn State. So I have some bias therein. But even I can't keep track of all the statistics and all the realities of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And part of my job running BAMS radio is to do the best I can doing just that. And so you mean to tell me that you're going to be able to make an informed decision? These, you know, anywhere from 10 to 13 people are going to be able to make an informed decision about a top 25 week in and week out? That's just not realistic to me. And again, going back, Alabama, there's a four-spot difference between three polls. This completely ignores some of the statistical measures that ESPN champions with Bill Connolly's S&P Plus, where Alabama is still number two after a pair of losses, and their football power index, where Alabama is number three, I believe, right now. So the central problem I have with the college football playoff is I want to know why, and not just to throw away because when Alabama played the two ranked teams on their schedule in LSU and Auburn, Alabama lost both of those games. That's a throwaway reason. Like, that, that is the, let's, let's throw everything against the wall and hope it sticks. Give me specifics. And if you can't give me specifics, then I have to question your ability to make this decision in an informed manner. And this is not the first time that this has happened. And let's talk about some optics real quick. One of the things that came out of Championship Weekend this past weekend was the committee actually debated whether Oklahoma, one-loss Big 12 champion, was better than Georgia, two-loss SEC runner-up, who just got absolutely boat-raced by LSU. Now, logically, it makes sense that LSU moved up if, they, if the committee thinks Georgia is this good, but it's an optical problem. Why are you going to reward a team who really should have lost by 40 or 50 to LSU with giving them another shot at LSU? You know, one of these things is not like the other. So the college football playoff has been a mess since the beginning. It continues to be a mess. And, I, I mean, I wish that we could go, if, if I had my druthers, I would rip some of the statistical measures out of the BCS and superimpose them on the college football playoff committee because very little that these people have done because of changing committee members or what I consider general incompetence, because some of the people on those committees, I really don't trust to, like, you know, raise children, let alone run a quarter-billion-dollar business. You know, be, I just don't trust that. I trust math. I don't trust capricious, self-interested people, particularly when it's a small cabal of them that I don't get to talk to and ask specific questions of. So if I had my druthers, give me back some BCS computers and... There's another point that needs to be made, then we can talk about Michigan. Just because, and I put in quotes, the committee worked, as in it found the best four, that doesn't mean that the process isn't flawed. And that doesn't mean that just because it found the ostensibly best four, that the, the definition of which you can only make ex post facto, doesn't mean that the rest of the rankings make a lick of sense. So... I really, I still have a ton of problems with the committee, and it's like, at what point does, frankly, the college football intelligentsia catch on to this? Because I don't know how you can look at the system, see what it is doing, 
see its flaws and just shrug your shoulders and be okay with it. And here's the problem. What's going to end up happening is everybody's going to get a turn. Everybody's going to get a turn being screwed by this insanely flawed system. And eventually, once enough teams have been screwed, and I rant about this the week after SEC Championship for about 10 years, people are going to wake up and realize this system sucks. Let's change it. But until then, I promise our BAMS radio listeners, every single time, the week after the SEC Championship, whether Alabama wins, loses, or doesn't participate, you're going to get to hear this from me, and people are going to end up throwing stuff at their speakers because it's going to be same song, different verse, but with a few different points thrown in. Having said that, William, I appreciate you letting me go on a soliloquy because this kind of thing just puts my teeth on edge. But let's talk about, you know, early Michigan thoughts. I know you and Drew sort of touched on this, but do you expect Alabama has a history of going into, let's call it, not national championship level bowl games and just sort of farting around and getting beat? Do you see that with this uh, this iteration of the Crimson Tide, you know, given how the season ended? You know, I, even if, you know, Armageddon happens and there's a, a mass uh, amount of players that decide to sit out of the game, um, you know, that might level the playing field a little bit. You know, I, I think that, you know, th- this Michigan team um, – is, is, you know, better than what they have been under Harbaugh in years past. I mean, they seem to, you know, have a little bit more of a dynamic offense. You know, they've always got a, you know, a, a solid defense. Um, but, you know, I mean, if we were having this conversation about, you know, the Alabama team that took the field in September versus the one that we saw two weeks ago, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it would probably be – a you know, a bloodbath. And I'm not saying that it still might not be. Um, but certainly there's some things in play for Alabama that I think could could help level the playing field for Michigan if some more of these guys decide to sit out or, um, you know, not available to play. I mean, we, we've, we talked about all the names, you know, earlier that are, you know, kind of in flux right now. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a – you know, it's a perplexing problem for, you know, Nick Saban or any college coach, especially when it's, you know, you, you bring up the old and, you know, this is almost, a, you know, an outdated term with, with the, the business nature of college football now. But, you know, it brings up the old pride issue. And, you know, I think that's a much tougher sell in 2019 than it was in 1999. Um, you know, there's much more money at stake here. Um, you know, these kids are, you know, kind of coached, you know, through junior high and high school with a different mentality. I mean, it's, you know, when can I get on the field and how quickly? Um, now, in some cases in college, you know, how quickly can I get on the field to, you know, move on in three years to the next level? Um, and, you know, and I think there's some – you know, inner dynamics that are probably still in play within the Mount Moore football complex. I think there were some, you know, some attitude problems and some problem children, more so than normal that Nick Saban had to deal with. Um, in 2019, I think he's probably, 
you know, these are going to be the two marquee names mentioned over and over again, but there's other players involved that I think um, has probably led him to this decision. But I certainly, I think the um, Abaya Nomas and the Antonio Alfanos of the world have kind of already forced him to maybe reevaluate the type of player that he brings into the program. Um, you know, I think that there, there was enough alphas in that locker room in years past to kind of intimidate and, and kind of alpha that mindset um, before it set in and became a permanent mindset. You know, you hear over and over again, you know, different college football coaches talk about that their biggest, you know, challenge is to de-recruit some of these, you know, elite recruits once they get on campus and, you know, they've gone through a two- or a three-year period, you know, where, where everybody in the country, you know, has, has been kissing their, their ass and their mamas and their daddies. And, um, you know, it, it's just a different world um, with all the stuff that these guys, and I know they're paid, you know, an outrageous sum of money to try and figure this out and, and, and figure out how to manage it and cope with it. But still doesn't make it any less difficult of an issue to weed through. And, and I think he's in the midst of, you know, going through – you know, another, you know, three or four person, you know, member coaching staff turnover. I think there's probably some kids that you'll see after the dust settles in January that will probably enter the transfer portal. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a never-ending, you know, process within the process. And I think there's been some, some other issues that have crept up that he feels like have kind of gotten away from a little bit that he's got to – you know, kind of go back to the drawing board and, you know, come up with a, you know, maybe a way to bring in all the uh, the mind coaches that he employs on a consultant basis to help him tweak his uh, psychological profiles a little bit that he uses to try and vet, you know, these recruits during the recruiting process. So once they get on campus, you know, they don't become a part of, uh, you know, the problem instead of the solution and, and become – you know, some people call them turds. Some people call them a cancer. There's a lot of different labels you can come come up with. But it doesn't take very many of them before they, you know, um, you know, really start to upset the apple cart, so to speak. Well, and that's true. I, I given how we saw the team react in pressure situations, you kind of have to wonder about the the turd factor on this team. And yeah. and having said that, you know, my 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 thought on Alabama is I actually have Michigan winning this game as it stands. I, I don't believe that Alabama is going to care that it's a top notch non new year six, non playoff bowl. And I don't expect them to come out with any sort of fire. I hope to be pleasantly surprised, but if, you know, and this, the flux here is, you know, where, where does, where do the number of Alabama players that sit rest and where do the number of juniors coming back? And we'll get we'll have a better idea of that as Alabama spins toward uh, finals week. I know finals week for me at South Alabama is uh, has started this week. I'm not sure what Alabama's academic calendar is, but it's got to be pretty soon. J- just as an aside, the smell of popcorn, burnt coffee, and unwashed bodies is a little insane on South Alabama's campus right now. It's kind of cringy. But a- anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's y- y- I walk out of work and I almost have to pull out a dead gum gas mask. It's kind of awful. But anywho, I just, I-, I-, I have very low expectations for this game. But 
you know, I can give you some preliminary breakdown stuff on the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, Josh Gaddis, formerly of the coaching staff that created one of the most awful offensive game plans that you'll ever see, that is Alabama in the playoff, is the offensive coordinator at Michigan. And he actually did a decent job, particularly towards the back half of the season, of bringing Michigan's offense out of the 1980s with some spread principles. Uh, Since the second half of the Penn State game this year, Michigan's been a good team. They haven't been a great one. Uh, They still got thwopped by Ohio State, but frankly, I think Alabama would get thwopped by Ohio State, so that's not saying very much. So, you know, some a lot of the stuff that Alabama fans saw with kind of an Auburn-y type look, Shea Patterson's kind of what Bo Nix will be in a year or two, maybe a little, Nix's ceiling might be a little bit higher, but that's a lot of what the Alabama defense is going to see, and the Iron Bowl wasn't a horror show from an offensive production standpoint for the defense. They did hold Auburn to about 350 yards, but they gave up 34 points. The thing that might give out that should give Alabama fans hope is the Michigan defense. Uh, the Michigan defense, particularly along their front, is very undersized. Uh, the Ohio State offensive line was really able to wear the Michigan defensive line out because they just gave up so much weight. And the Joe Moore Award, the annual award for best offensive line, the Alabama offensive line was just named one of the finalists along with the Ohio State line. So you would think even if Najee Harris does decide to sit out, or if he, particularly if he comes out on a mission to impress scouts, he should be able to find some success. But on top of the personnel issues at Michigan for the, def- the defense, the Michigan defensive coordinator, a guy named Don Brown, is really, 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 really good, like really good at shutting down traditional pro-style offenses. Uh, The Michigan defense is probably the best in college football over the past three or four years at shutting down pure pro-style offenses. Having said that, Don Brown is really, 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 really bad at slowing down anything spread. Michigan is classic for shutting down, plotting Big Ten teams, then running into Ohio State, and Ohio State just crushing them with, uh, with superior uh, offensive talent in particular. Uh, the Florida Gators last year under Dan Mullen with Felipe Franks crushed Michigan last year using very similar spread principles. So I think there are some reasons to be encouraged. I just don't know if I'm willing to buy the notion that Alabama is going to play with even a token amount of fire in this game, William. But, you know, who do you think we're, – we're going to see some folks sit out. Uh, I think that's, that's a for sure thing. I've, we, we expect Terrell Lewis, uh, Trayvon Diggs might. So, for me, he'll get to try his rip technique against air just a few more times because I didn't see that enough against LSU. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> what are some of the young players that you could see really taking a step forward during bowl practice and then potentially in the game? You know, and I think you bring up a great point about um, the defensive coordinator, Brown, and, and, you know, what he is good at stopping. And, you know, if you look at, you know, if, if Alabama was able to have success running the football on LSU and Auburn, 
you know, common logic dictates that they should be able to have success against Michigan as well. Um, because I think you saw uh, versus a really good front seven in Auburn, um, you know, Alabama was able to keep them honest and, you know, they had to back out of the box and nobody was still able to cover Jalen Waddle. So, you know, that is certainly something I'm sure that's already started to keep uh, old man Brown up at night. You know, as far as the young players, um, you know, I think that depends on, you know, at the running back position, what does Najee Harris decide to do? Um, I got to be honest with you. I'm sitting here trying to scratch my head thinking that, you know, if Trevon Diggs does sit out, who's going to be the corner opposite of uh, Patrick Sertan? You know, I don't know. Um, You know, there's – you know, Josh Job's been in the doghouse. You know, Scooby Carter's in and out of the um, transfer portal. Um, I, I think that could be a, something that you circle in pencil and, and say, you know, could be a crucial um, – not, not that I'm really worried about Michigan's wide receivers. Um, you know, they, they, they've got a couple of good big receivers in uh, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, – God, the kid's name's escaping me. Hell, he's from right here in Birmingham with the Clay Chalkwell. Nico Collins. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're – Nico Collins, there you go. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of more matchup problems in the same light that the guys from Clemson are because they're big-bodied guys. Um, you know, they really don't have a Rug Smith or a, or a Waddle um, that's just, you know, three burners that can cause, you know, if you take a wrong step, the guy's going to run right by you type guys. Um, you know, certainly that secondary um, you know, if Xavier McKinney decides to, you know, sit it out, you know, you could have two new faces back there in the base look. Um, and, and, and certainly the nickel and dime packages as well. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, if Terrell Lewis decides to sit out, um, I really haven't seen a lot. Um, I had a Chris Allen this year that leads me to believe that the pass rush, the organic pass rush, Thomas, that we've been talking about for six months now, I know nothing um, of what you speak, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly don't see that getting any better, um, you know, with the insertion of Chris Allen. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I certainly think, you know, the guys up front, um, you know, if you don't have any guys sitting out there, if they've got a healthy DJ Dale, a healthy Raekwon Davis, um, you know, to go along with, with Barrymore and those other guys. I mean, I certainly think that could cause some matchup problems for Michigan's offensive line because outside of Ohio State, um, they, they are certainly used to seeing, um, you know, a lesser quality, quick-twitch, big person in front of them on opposing defensive lines. But, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, Thomas. I mean, I, I you know, I, I get your point about the playoff. I, I think probably where Alabama sits currently – you know, in the coaches and the AP poll is probably a little bit more accurate and, and uh, you know, more of a present, you know, a more accurate present presentation of, of where this team should probably be ranked. But I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say I expect Alabama to lose this ball game. But for all those reasons that you listed that you're leaning that way right now are certainly causes for concern, um, you know, and, and – one of the things I would say that would make me not go that way is, you know, how erratic Shea Patterson, um, you know, has been um, at two different schools at quarterback, um, albeit, um, 
when he was at Ole Miss, he played against a totally different defense than what he's going to see, um, you know, in the Citrus Bowl versus Alabama. But, you know, I, I like the matchup from a traditional, you know, blue blood historical matchup. But, you know, neither one of these two teams is going to be the best product that you've seen either school put on the field in the last decade. Um, and, and, you know, I guess it's finally a credit to uh, – um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, that that he has allowed Josh Gaddis to go up there and take his antiquated offense, um, you know, in, into current football times. I mean, I know he tried to bring the same product with him from Stanford and incorporated it, um, you know, since he's been at Michigan. And, you know, and at times, um, you know, the, the drag routes and the same passes to his tight ends, he's got a pretty good tight end. I can't remember his name, but he, he's certainly somebody that could cause problems um, for this Alabama defense, he is a tall, rangy guy that's a decent athlete. But, um, you know, I'm just kind of racking my brain because I haven't seen a complete game that Michigan's played all year. Um, probably their game versus Ohio State. I spent more time watching it um, than I have any of their other ones. But, you know, they were just kind of outclassed at the athlete position. And, and like you said, um, you know, Ohio State's kind of like Alabama. Um, even an off year at the offensive line position for them, still probably going to get them in the conversation for the Joe Moore Award. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to me when, because I always like to circle back around to this kind of stuff, you know, when everybody was bitching and complaining about Kyle Flood and the Alabama offensive line, you know, what's wrong with them? We can't run the football on anybody. Uh, it's kind of ironic that this is Alabama's third offensive line coach in the last five years that's uh, been at least nominated for the Joe Moore Award. And, uh, you know, that, that offensive line certainly didn't have any problems running the football against the best front seven that they played all year a couple weekends ago against Auburn. So um, kudos to them for, you know, although the development wasn't met with a lot of patience from the Alabama fan base, it was solid and steady throughout the course of the season. And I think you've got some really, really talented football players um, you know, along that offensive line. And probably outside of Jedrick Wills, you're going to see, you know, four of them um, back next year. That's, you know, that's really exciting for just continuity purposes. And one thing I will say, you know, yes, I just said I expect Michigan to win this game. But I think the thing that I'm most excited about, like if we want to take off Thomas being a negative Nancy, and I've had people bash it, not bash it, <laughs> people pointing that out to me in, in some Alabama football chats that I'm a member of, and you know who you are, so appreciate you. If I'm going to put on a put on my crimson colored glasses, something I'm really excited about is something that we saw against the Auburn Tigers, and it's one guy, it's Mac Jones. Uh, he did have two pick sixes. We talked about it right after the Iron Bowl, but he had two pick sixes. That was highly unfortunate. But he had better stats than Joe Burrow against a very good Auburn Tigers defense. Alabama had 515 yards of total offense against the best defense that Alabama had seen to date. Michigan's not as good as Auburn, as you said. So, you know, even if Alabama comes out flat, I'm very interested to see Mac Jones because. You know, you mentioned the, the Tua Tonga-Vailoa saga in terms of the NFL draft, and I, I agree. We're not going to know until, you know, probably after the national championship game when Alabama has their press conference for players leaving early. But 
you know, I, I did want to talk about that real quick. And I know this isn't specific Alabama-Michigan, so I hope our listeners will, will bear with me for a second. The thing that's going to keep Tua Tonga-Vailoa around is if he thinks or if he gets feedback from NFL teams or if Nick Saban gets feedback from NFL teams and tells it to Tua as to whether he's going to either go in the first round like at 15 which is where some people have put him in mock drafts, or he goes further back at like 27, 28, 29. Because that is a significant difference in compensation. It's still life-changing money. You go in the first under the NFL draft, you can set your family up for a long time. But the thing that rang to me about the, uh, the statements he made throughout his media conversations over the past week-ish was it was a business decision, and you can't get lost money back. Well, the argument w- goes something like this, and it's if it's you want to take the negative side, Tua comes back, he gets hurt, he drops further in the draft. But the positive side is Tua comes back, he has a healthy senior season. Frankly, I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy if he's healthy for four, for thirteen games next year. I think he's that good, and he jumps back into the top five. Now. In terms of compensation, that's a huge monetary difference. That's ten plus million dollars difference that he'll, you know, he can't recoup. Now there are some mitigating factors in that this year, Tua is going to be the third quarterback taken at best. He's not going to be before Justin Herbert. He's not going to be before Joe Burrow. I have a hard time seeing either of those things happening, given the circumstances. Now, I think an interesting question is. Does somebody like a Jordan Love or a Jacob Eason or, uh, you know, somebody foolishly fall in love with Jake Fromm if he decides to come out and he interviews really well and passes Tua because people can see Jake Fromm do things, Tua's not really going to be healthy enough to do all of the stuff that he needs to do to prove he's back from the injury before the NFL draft. You know, those are mitigating circumstances this year. Now, I want to say before I give my other side, whatever Tua decides to do, he's gone out, he's earned it. Rock on, dude. What you gave to Alabama was magical. If you come back for more magic, great. If you want to go support your family, great. I don't begrudge you any of that. Now, let's make the argument for next year. Next year, Tua is going to be heads up against Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Let's just call a spade a spade. And everybody's going to fall in love with Trevor Lawrence's measurables. And they are legit as legit can be. And there's a decent chance that should Clemson win the college football playoff this year, that Trevor Lawrence will be competing for three straight national championships. Now, we saw how that ended with A.J. McCarron, but anyway, that's what we could be talking about here. But here's an interesting factoid for uh, our listeners. Tua Tonga-Vailoa put up, before championship week, put up functionally equal statistics to Trevor Lawrence in three less games. Now, part of that is because Travis Etienne's a monster, the Clemson running back. But part of it is Trevor Lawrence had some legitimate struggles throughout this season. Now, struggles is a relative term, but if you project Tua Tungavailoa's stats over, you know, 12 or 13 games, he's blowing Trevor Lawrence away, and Clemson's strength of schedule is in the doldrums. So it's not like Tua doesn't have a shot if he goes heads up against Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields is hyper-efficient, but... You know, let's let's see what happens in the playoff before we start crowning Justin Fields the next great thing. So 
you know, I just wanted to talk about some of the some of the mitigating factors, some of the weirdness that surrounds Tua's uh, circumstances that we didn't touch on earlier, William. But you know, I did mention one thing, and then we'll get out of here. We've kind of, we'll, I, well, let's let's kind of back burner Michigan, Alabama. We'll see who's going to be playing and who won't be as we head towards Christmas. What are your initial thoughts on the college football playoff matchups? You know, I, I'm I'm really interested in seeing. Um, you know, how this plays out. You know, I, I think, to me, just based on what I've seen versus good teams, I think that Ohio State and LSU are the two most complete teams. Um, I, I think the Clemson defense is, is taking a step back, especially along the front seven. Um, you know, and, and I, I think you bring up a good point, jumping back to what you were talking about a minute ago, Thomas. Um you know, certainly the, the, the NFL scouts, uh, you know, and GMs who are measurable whores um, are, are going to be totally infatuated with Trevor Lawrence. He will win and, the Underwear Olympics you know, 10 out of 10 times. Underwear Olympic champion absolutely. 2020. But go ahead. But I also think – no, no, I also think based on what a very similar quarterback um, – is doing right now in the NFL, the NFL defense is I think something else, you know, that you touched on that you probably didn't give enough emphasis to is they're going to fall in love for different reasons because of what Lamar Jackson's doing right now with Justin Fields. That's um, true. You know, he, he, he's another one that is going to win the stopwatch and underwear Olympics and is a freak, freak athlete for a quarterback that's a pretty proficient passer as well. So I, I think, you know, as this all circles back around to, to his decision, um, I, you know, could he decide to come back if he does? I mean, he's going to shatter records, uh, certainly be the leading candidate. You know, I don't know. He might have to jockey for position with Jalen Waddle on his own team for the Heisman. But, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of neat, really, really neat things that he could accomplish. But like you – if he does make the decision, because I think that's an interesting debate and certainly something that I'm sure is weighing heavily on his mind. You know, do I come back and become any better than the third quarterback taken next year versus this year? You know, I think that might be end up, you know, what it comes down to, um, you know, outside of the, you know, team and personal awards that he could add to his resume. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, you've already touched on the, the underwear Olympics that will take place both this year and next year at the NFL Combine. But I, I think this college football playoff matchup is, is going to be very interesting. I mean, you know, I, I think of the four teams, the one that looks to be the odd man out, um, especially as it relates to going up against Ohio State and, and LSU is Oklahoma. Um, you know, that, that's a real, real scary proposition for, you know, Jalen Hurts and, and uh, Lincoln Riley to try and have to keep pace from a point standpoint um, with what their defense, in my opinion, will probably allow and give up to either one of those two offenses. And I think both teams have much, much better defenses to slow that Oklahoma offense down with. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's going to be real interesting to watch. I'm kind of excited you know, this was probably going to be the first year um, that I've ever been able to watch those games without, you know, having a vested interest in it. 
um, you know, without Alabama being a future opponent for, you know, one of those other teams later on in the playoffs. But, you know, I think it's going to be a fun uh, bowl season and, you know, a fun – there's there's a lot of uh, questions, I think, that will be answered about the final rankings. Um, you know, if Alabama comes out and, you know, takes care of Michigan and wins convincingly, certainly they can shoot back up the final rankings. But I, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, – um, you know, how this thing is going to play out. And, and certainly I think we've got a lot, a lot of unknown factors that we have to consider and kind of evaluate before we start, talk, start about, talking about making a prediction on how Alabama is going to fare versus Michigan in the Citrus Bowl. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to give an Alabama-Michigan pick until, it, you know, it's Jan- the, the Bulls January the 1st. Whatever show we're going to do within two days, because I'm going to be blowing up anybody down there's phone who's seen practice to be like, does the team look like they care? Because if the team looks like that looks like they care, they're going to annihilate Michigan. I just I'm just fairly skeptical that they're going to care about this, but we'll see. I would absolutely love to be wrong. But William, it's been a it's been a hey based based on how my mine and your uh, uh, LSU and Auburn predictions turned out, I'm I'm willing to sit it sit this uh, bowl game prediction out along with you. Trust me, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start fresh in 2020. <laughs> I was about to say I was about to say why don't we can just we can just pretend that it never ha- 2019 never happened. The crow, I'm still picking feathers out of my teeth. Just ignore it; it's a side effect. <laughs> Yeah, we, we might we might have better odds if we just start throwing darts at the final recruiting board left in Tuscaloosa. Oh, well, there we go. Well, what we need to do is we need to hire Kirby Smart to take a picture of it just to help our predictions. But, you know, what do I <laughs> Touche. There you go. But, William, it's been a great hour. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. We did it a day early, but just because I wanted to get my college football playoff rant out of the way. You know, it's a yearly occurrence, and – I got my my zing out. I've been uh, – I have to admit I've been hyping it to a couple of people as we've been talking because there it's one of those things. There's a vocal groundswell of annoyed fans that I talk to about the college football playoff, and we've got to keep the – we've got to stoke the anger to change this system. That That's that's one of my many purposes in life, so I appreciate you dealing with that. But, uh, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate Drew coming on early. I know he's been a little under the weather and, you know, snow – Snow is not something that we do down in Mobile. So whenever someone says snow, I'm like, nope, nope, not leaving the house. Leave me be. But that I is hear it. you. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. We'll be back probably next week. If there's some breaking news, we keep an eye on the BAMS Radio Twitter account. I know with the holidays, I'm going to travel a little bit. William's going to end up traveling, and Drew will probably end up traveling. But we'll try and bring you some stuff as we hear it. And if there's a big, you know, group of juniors over the next week that come out and say they're coming back, we might, you know, lift the curtain a little bit and uh, look forward to 2020. As well as uh, early next week, we have the first early signing period. But that is it for this episode of BAMS Radio. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. We will be back next week, hopefully. But until then, have a great rest of your week and roll tide.